circle, yes, we rotate 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high, All right, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin. This is occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. And tonight we give a shout out to dads and to our LGBTQ. TQIA plus communities. On tonight's show, we'll hear stories and commentary about dads. And in honor of Pride Month, we'll hear a short introduction and KPFA history from our own Hannah Wilson. We'll also hear a special tribute to local activist and educator Mel Martin. All that tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, Freebone Franklin. I'm coming to you from right here in downtown Antioch. This is Bay Miwok territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. And again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. My name is Freewell and Franklin, and I am your host tonight. And yes, a big shout out to the LGBTQIA plus community. Happy Pride Month. Also big this month are dads. And tonight we'll be hearing some special tributes to dads produced by First Voice Apprentices past. Kicking us off tonight in honor of Pride Month, we start with Hannah Wilson. Now a First Voice graduate, but at the time a First Voice apprentice, her group was known as Audacity. Here she is being introduced by her group mate, Shaquille Stewart, or as he was known on the KPFA Airwaves, Radio Shack. That's S-H-A-Q. Check it out on KPFA. Welcome back to 94.1 KPFA, and you're listening to Full Circle. I'm your host, Radio Shack from Audacity, and now I want to introduce you to one of my group mates, Hannah Wilson. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Shaquille. So now we've been working together for about a year now, and I just and we talk a lot of in our own stories and how why yeah. we wanted to come here. So, Hannah, what brought you here to the First Voice Apprenticeship Program? Well, I'm circling back to KPFA after more than three decades away. I was a programmer way back in the days of magnetic tape when we edited with razor blades. So um, I started in 1973 with the collectively produced show Lesbian Air. It was one of the first LGBT, uh, actually lesbian shows in the nation. Mm -hmm. And then after that, for six years, I did a world music program with a focus on women musicians. So then I went off and I was a psychotherapist for for 30 years. And I think, you know, one of the things that catapulted me into being a therapist was the stories that I got being in the radio. And I love people's stories. So I wanted to go deeper with that. And now I'm back. And I, I myself am a storyteller and an author. And um, 
first voice apprenticeship program especially appealed to me because it it we we talk about the stories of women and people of color well you're first up tonight on the father's day commentary so can you tell us about what we're about to hear yeah well i'm going to share a story from my early childhood i had a complicated relationship with my father and i know that's true for many of us you know, in fact, when our group decided to do a Father's Day special, I, I just really didn't want to take part in it. But you all encouraged me, and I feel such a part of the group that I put my reservations aside. So uh, here's a little background. When I was seven, my mother was taken off to a mental hospital, and I would live alone with my father for the next two and a half years. I, w I would live alone with my father for the next two and a half years, and I was in the midst of a really lonely and painful time. Dad found a way to share with me the solace of nature. Here's a bit of that story, and it's an excerpt from my memoir, Riding Fury Home. Mom first went to the mental hospital in spring. As the days warmed in the evenings after supper, Dad and I would meander down the path through our backyard woods to the little millstone river that ran along the back of our property. The river was narrow and muddy. Trees leaned out over the water from its banks. Dad had made a floating dock out of empty oil drums overlaid with planks and guy wires tethered it to the bank. Our aging wooden rowboat was tied to the dock. Sometimes Dad and I clambered into the rowboat Dad at the oars, me in the stern, bailing the slow leak of water. We rowed jaggedly upriver a ways, then turned around and drifted back. I trailed my hand in the water and looked at the ducks skidding to a water landing. One evening we pulled up to the dock. Night was coming, but I didn't want to leave the river world. It wasn't a thought, just a reluctance in my body. Climbing out of the boat and onto the dock, my feet dragged against going back to a house filled with the echoes of no mom. The first fireflies blinked over the water. The crickets began their singing and the frogs their croaking. Dad lingered with me on the dock, shining his flashlight into the shallows, illuminating the tadpoles and minnows. There was a loud splash. Look, Dad said, pointing to just beyond the riverbank. A muskrat's head, smooth with wet fur, poked above the water as he dog paddled toward mid-river in the quickening darkness. My father had taught me to swim in the river when I was five, holding me around my belly, showing me the churning movements of arms and legs, how to turn my head to breathe. Dad was a great swimmer, having grown up at the Jersey Shore. His prowess led him to the swim team in high school, and he passed his confidence on to me. The river was my second home. Later, I was puzzled by my suburban cousins, Marion and Stephanie's reactions as the three of us stood in our bathing suits at the muddy water's edge. I had led them proudly to my river. 
Yuck. It's dirty. You gotta be kidding. We're not swimming in that. Dirty? To me, the river was a living entity. It's water rich with mud and water creatures and the animals who lived along its shores. They were part of the forest river world, the other world behind our house that seemed so far away from the town. It was that magical place that me and Dad and the animals all inhabited together. This has been Hannah Wilson reading an excerpt from my memoir, Riding Fury Home. Welcome back to First Voice Media's Full Circle here on KPFA 94.1 FM. Well, this is Hannah, and that was a story about my dad. And, you know, um, I got to do a sound collage, and that's mm -hmm. one of the things that we learn here. Yeah. So, uh, Shaquille, thanks for introducing me. Yes, welcome back. You're listening to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA and KPFA.org. We are part of the Pacifica Radio Network. You just heard First Voice graduate Hannah Wilson with an excerpt from her memoirs, Riding Fury Home. Thank you, Hannah, and thank you, Radio Shack, for that introduction and short interview. Next, we'll hear from another Audacity groupmate, this is Theodora Adkins and her tribute to her dad. Memories of my father. Back when I was a child Before life removed all the innocence My father would lift me high And dance with my mother and me and then spin me around till I fell asleep Then up the stairs he would carry me And I knew for sure I was loved If I could get another chance Another walk, another with him I'd play a song that would never ever end how I'd love love to dance with my father again my name is Theodora I'm the oldest child of Theodore and Lolita Cornelius welcome to TED talk my father's day tribute my father, the son of Edward and Mary Jane Cornelius was born on April 25th 1919. He was raised down in the bayou in New Orleans, Louisiana, or as he called it, Nolens. Everybody called him Ted, but to me and my three siblings, he was and always will be Daddy. Daddy never talked much about growing up in the racist, oppressive South. I got the distinct impression he couldn't wait to get the hell away from there, sooner rather than later. He joined the Merchant Marines at 16 and never did go back to Nolens to live. He made San Francisco, California his home, where he met and married my mother Lolita. After five years of marriage, at the age of 36, he fathered four children in five years. So, what was it like living with Ted? Well, Ted took care of his family. Daddy drank, smoked, gambled, and even cursed from time to time. 
He never went to church or attended college. He told me that once, while on jury duty, a lawyer offered to pay his way through law school. My father's brilliant, razor-sharp mind must have caught that attorney's attention. His response was short and straight to the point. Man, I ain't got time to go to no law school. I got four miles to feed. His priorities were very clear. Ted sacrificed. Though my parents loved living in San Francisco, we moved to Oakland when I was five. The story goes that I ran out into the street and my father heroically risked his life to save mine. In addition to almost getting flattened like a pancake on the streets of San Francisco, the salty San Francisco air triggered my severe asthma attacks. They stopped once we moved to Oakland, but my poor father suffered for years because of the heavy airborne pollen in Oakland. He suffered so I wouldn't have to. Ted understood the concept of quality time before it was a thing. Daddy worked two full-time jobs for much of my childhood, yet he always made time to spend with his family. I remember Friday nights at the bowling alley, Saturdays at Alameda Beach, Sundays at Nolan Park Zoo, and summertime adventures on the Santa Cruz boardwalk. Every single week, no matter how tired he might have been, our family had fun together. Ted was an advocate for his children. My fourth grade teacher caught me chewing gum. She took the gum out of my mouth with her fingers. I told my mother and she told daddy. The next day he took off work to have a Snapchat with that teacher. While I wasn't privy to that conversation, I'd venture to say his discourse went something like this. If you want your fingers, you better keep them out of my daughter's mouth. Whatever he told her, I know it was said with respect and dignity. While Daddy would never have put his hands on a woman, I know he made his point crystal clear. Don't disrespect my daughter again. Ted was a teacher. He taught me how to be a critical thinker, and that alone is worth its weight in gold. He taught me to love the beautiful dark chocolate skin that I was blessed to inherit from him. He also taught me how to make gumbo. He swore that first pot of gumbo I made was the best he'd ever had. He recognized the importance of high self-esteem before it started trending. Ted was a guru. Ted Talks happened in my house way before there was a YouTube. Daddy was always passing on life lessons. He'd say things like, always keep you some money. Or, it's nice to be nice, but don't be no fool. And he couldn't stand liars. He believed if you'll lie, you'll steal, and if you'll steal, you'll lie. One of his most famous TED Talks sounded pretty gross to me as a child, but makes a whole lot of sense to me now. Baby, don't let nobody pee on your head and tell you it's raining. Ted was a strong black man. Daddy survived a heart attack in 1988. Sadly, he was diagnosed with mesothelioma three years later. Not even strength, holistic medicine, organic food, or chemotherapy could conquer that. All those years spent working around asbestos so he could provide for his family ultimately cost him his life. Daddy died at the age of 72 on Sunday, October 20th, 1991, the day of the Oakland Hills fire. I was totally oblivious to the flames swirling around Oakland that day. A firestorm of a different kind was brewing within me. Suddenly, the world didn't feel quite as safe anymore.
Life with Ted was a blessing. I'm so thankful God chose Ted to be my father and Lolita to be my mother. I'll always love and cherish them both. Daddy would have been 100 years old this year. Thanks for listening. Happy Father's Day. Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 FM, KPFA, and worldwide all the time on kpfa.org. We are part of the Pacifica Radio Network. I am Freewell and Franklin, and you just heard First Voice graduate Theodora Adkins from First Voice Group Audacity and their tribute to Father's Show. Thank you, Theodora, and thank you, Audacity. There were actually several more stories to that show, and I will post a link to the entire show on our website just after the show tonight. That's kpfaapprentice.org, so check that out after the show tonight. Now I'm going to share one of my feature stories, and although this is not a tribute to my dad, it does feature my dad's and my relationship growing up in a divorced household and living with my mom. So check this out. Sports. It could be football. Ten, five, touchdown, Raiders. Baseball. Fernandez, left field. It's deep. It is good. Auto racing. What is it about sports that can bring families closer and make family bonds tighter? Is it the good food, the hot dogs, the smell of burnt high-octane fuel as a car rounds the track? In particular, as in my case, why do single dads, such as mine, choose to take their kids, boys and girls, to sporting events? Is it for the children's pleasure or the adults? Just so you have a little idea about my childhood, my parents separated and divorced when I was eight. And although my dad lived in town maybe 10 or 15 minutes away, my mom raised my sister and I as a single working mother for the next six years until she remarried. As for my dad, it seemed other than times he would stop by and check on the house, I felt I only saw him some weekends, holidays, and at my baseball games. But the memories of those weekends that stand out most are the times he took me to sporting events. Whether it be the Antioch Speedway that had races Saturday nights during the summer and was only five minutes from our house. McMahon making his first start at the Antioch Speedway in Or the bigger and more grand Oakland Raider games. There's nothing like walking into the Coliseum. Just the sheer size of it was amazing to me as a kid. And then to hear the roar of the crowd, these are the memories I still have today. What is it about our single dads that drive them to bring us to these events? Here's what my own dad had to say when I asked him. And all honesty, I hated the races. 
but I know that you liked them. That's why we went. <laughs> I didn't like the races. I mean, they were fun, but I knew that you liked them. So that's, I saved Saturday nights for you. And you ought to admit, we went to all the races. That's why I did that. Football games you liked when you were little. You were a Raider fan when you were little. So we went to the Raider games as a father and a son, as we still do today. But talking to my dad got me wondering, what was it like with his parents? What did he do with his dad when he was a kid? My biological father and my mother got divorced at a young age. I probably saw him for a couple of years when I was maybe six and seven years old, and then we stopped seeing him. I never saw him until maybe a couple of weeks before he died. My mother married a very great man, was my stepfather, whom I considered my father. And I was very active in sports at a young age. He was always at my games. Him and I watched all the games, football, baseball on TV. He was very much into sports. We did a lot of family barbecue things and just uh, down to the river at the Delta when we were young. All those little things that you do. It was nice. I miss him. So it seems the way we were raised, my father and myself, was quite different. But there was one commonality, sports. His dad was into and watched sports and took him to games. My dad watched sports and took me to games. But still, I want to know, why do single fathers do this? Is it just because we are sports fans? Or is there more to it? To try and find out why, I talked to family psychiatrist, Dr. Joanne Sanders. She explained it this way. Oftentimes when fathers and sons go out, or fa even fathers and daughters, dads know sports most of the time. And sporting events are always a popular thing among kids because obviously there's the food, there's the fun, there's the excitement. Men like to participate in non-participation events, if that makes sense. So you'll oftentimes see men get together as adults or even as teenagers and fathers with young sons go to sporting events because you can be together without necessarily talking. Men like to go to events that they can share something but not necessarily have to be socially engaging. But it's still, for men, just as meaningful as two women who have an hour-long, hour-and-a-half conversation. So now I would say I'm a little confused. If my dad's taken me to these events just to watch the game and not to be socially interactive, then why the heck are we getting up at 7 in the morning and tailgating all day when the game don't even start till 1 p.m. And is it true that our conversation doesn't really get too deep at the tailgate party? Um, oftentimes that communication is really about, you know, how people predict the game is going to happen, what's going to happen in the game or what happened last game or what they're excited about. You know, they catch up on little things like work or they talk about you, their kids and a lot of times, parents are just as excited to bring their kids to these events as kids are to go. It's another way to, for men and families to form friendships with common people who have common interests. So everybody that's at the tailgate is going into the game. So already there's something to talk about. 
speaking of common people with common interests, I went to the preseason game, the Oakland Raiders versus the Dallas Cowboys, to talk with some families and see what they had to say about becoming closer as a family at football games. I first came across one group trying to huddle up for a family photo. Here's the young mother I saw with her four boys and family. Well, I got four boys and they've been, you know, Cowboys fans because of their dad is raised in Dallas. So, you know, he has the Cowboys thing going on. My youngest is what? Uh, he was the newborn when we brought him in. So now I have a 12-year-old, 11-year-old, and a 6-year-old. And they're all Cowboys fans. And they bring us together, you know. We got Raiders and, you know, Cowboys. And, you know, it, it makes it all good because we're all family at the end. You come and enjoy here, and you know, as a family. And I think the game is one thing, and then your family is another thing. And like a family, we're always going to stick together, no matter if we're Raiders fans or Cowboys fans. After that, I've made my way further down the row of parked cars and trucks with barbecue smoke-filled canopies. It seemed families were everywhere. I came across a grandpa holding his young grandson. Here's what he had to say about coming out to the game with his family and about his first game. Uh, well, actually, this is kind of a, a ritual for us. You know, it's a way of us getting together and bonding since, you know, as you get older, the lives of your child starts to uh, spread out throughout the area. So uh, nothing's better than coming to a Raider game, getting together and uh, getting everybody involved on the same page. I mean, it's kind of like a, a love gathering. You know, it's uh, family uh, and friends and uh, just a whole lot of love getting ready for the Raider game. My first game was uh, a few years back. Uh, I ain't going to say how many years back, but uh, I basically got started with my uh, older brother and mom and uh, basically got us started at a young age of about, I have to say, eight or nine we probably started at that time sneaking into the games when they was over at Frank Hill Field. Sometimes we went in with friends sneaking in games and now here at the Coliseum, uh, the tradition's still going on. I'm the man, I'm dad, and I have uh, my daughters, my uh, granddaughters, my uh, grandsons, uh, my uh, immediate family and friends. And what about this little guy here? Uh, especially my, my uh, grandson, this is my youngest grandson. And uh, he's, uh, this is his first Raider game. He's starting off just like my other grandson, as he started off at eight months, and uh, he's starting off at eight months. So uh, it's just a tradition getting started from uh, day one. Well, it seems there is a lot of interaction at these tailgate parties, whether it be not too deep or at times very deep. But families do grow tighter at these events. Even our own friend, Dr. Sanders, has to admit she's a mother and a fan. For me as a mom, it's so exciting to see them look forward to games that I like, so the Ravens, you know, and every once in a while they will throw in that they're a Redskins fan or something just to sort of get a rise out of me. But it's really fun, and I hope that when they go away and come back, we can always sort of bond around. There's nothing else for us to talk about that we can at least go sit next to each other at baseball game or a football game or a hockey game um, and still share those same experiences that we are enjoying now when they're really young. Dr. Sanders believes these moments stay with us from childhood to adults for a couple of reasons. One, again, is that you're sort of forming that 
hometown fan base memory. So you remember going to, for instance, a Dodgers game or a Yankees game or an Orioles game because it links you to your hometown. Second, as a kid, when you go to these sporting events, there's other kids there, but it's predominantly adults. So kids feel this sense of belonging in an adult world, and it's exciting. Um, And then also, the third thing is that it's oftentimes a time where kids see their parents get really excited. So you don't always see your dad jump up and scream and shout and get really excited about anything except for at a sporting event. So that in and of itself is really impressionable to a young kid. So there you have it. Bonding as a family is a great thing to do, of course. Whether you choose to do it at a sporting event or in your own backyard, try to take the time to get together somehow. These times will be future memories of family and friends. This has been Free Will and Franklin for Full Circle. And I'll leave you with these words I hope to hear a lot of this season. Midfield, McFadden breaks a tackle. He's gone! 10, 5, touchdown! Raiders! I'm a Raider, Oakland Raider. From the Bay to LA to Las Vegas. Cause I'm a player, a Wolves player. And if you win me, pop your collar, shake them haters. I'm a Raider, Oakland Raider. All right, welcome back to Full Circle here on KPFA Radio 94.1 FM. That was my shout out to sports and family bonds. Thank you to my dad for participating in that. And some of those voices I actually recorded at the Oakland Coliseum Raider Nation tailgate party, something that is now gone from our area here. Well, moving on, we have one more tribute tonight. This one is brought to us by our own Miss M, my co-director here at First Voice. Here, she introduces a public tribute to activist and educator Mel Martin. Hello, listeners. During this month of June, the month in which fathers are commemorated, we're shouting out to men in the community who exemplify some of the qualities of caring, conscientious fathers. Last week you heard of the ongoing work of Miguel Cavilan Molina in promoting the interests of the Latinx community. Here at First Voice we have the blessing of freewheeling Frank Sterling, and tonight we'll hear some of the memories shared by city officials and family members of Mel Martin, who passed from this plane at the beginning of this year. Mel was a teacher and community activist in Berkeley. The tributes were recorded via Zoom at a memorial held in Mel's honor at the Berkeley Adult School. The sound quality is erratic, but the sentiments are stellar. First, we'll hear from the City of Berkeley officials. The event MC Mildred Shear, shares her experiences and then introduces Vice Mayor Ben Bartlett. Welcome to everyone, family and friends, Berkeley Adult School and community. We are gathered to celebrate the extraordinary life of Mel Martin. Mr. Martin was not only loved by his family and friends, but also by his colleagues, 
and the greater Berkeley community. I have had the honor of knowing Mr. Martin since I was a teenager. I hung out with his daughter, I, Alina. He was my daughter's teacher at Washington Elementary in Berkeley. I served with him on the adult school commission and I worked with him for over 20 years here at Berkeley Adult School, where Mr. Martin served as the BFT site for decades. Throughout the years, he always treated me with kindness and love. We were not just friends and coworkers, we were family. Two weeks before he passed, I was blessed with the opportunity to give him a hug and tell him how much I love him. I will miss Mr. Martin every day. I learned that Mr. Martin graduated from Loyola University in New Orleans, Louisiana, and that's where he received his teaching credential. His mother actually wanted him to become a manager of the restaurant she worked at, but Mr. Martin knew his true calling was to become a teacher. And today on the day of Mardi Gras, which he loved, we toast to a life well-lived in Mardi Gras fashion. Raise your glass and we toast to Mr. Martin. Okay, at this time, I'm going to call on the city council member, Ben Barlett, who will give a city proclamation for Mr. Martin. Mel was a very deep thinker, very compassionate, and you know from his writings, he understood symbolism and the high thought, and that's why he was so effective as an advocate. He would appreciate the Mardi Gras effect here, the, the, this concept of life and death, rebirth, regeneration, and he would appreciate the fertility part of it. He would. You know, um, I miss him. I knew him many, many years. I met Dan when I was a very young, very young person with my father. And, you know, he's just been like an uncle to me my whole life. And we reconnected as an adult. And Mel was just a stalwart champion. And I just saw him in November. I think it was November, but ran into him at a local cafe. We hadn't talked in a couple of months. And he was saying, Ben, you know, you got to focus on what you're doing. Because what we're doing right now is pushing present into being the future because that's what we're doing here he described it as 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 water moving waves and he just took a minute and described this to me and it was very deep and fun and i was like okay mel all right okay i like that let's let's move this water into the future that's what we're doing the mic's off i'll get to project now i guess remembering and honoring mel martin for his outstanding service to the city of berkeley Whereas Mel Martin was a dedicated and engaged community member, actively participating in topics like education, housing, journalism, and civic engagement. And whereas Mel Martin was a lifelong Berkeley resident, teacher, and activist, and whereas Mel Martin was a teacher at Emerson Elementary, the area vice president for the Berkeley Federation of Teachers was on the adult education committee representing the Berkeley Federation of Teachers an ESL teacher at Berkeley Adult School was actively involved in education organizations. And whereas Mel Martin represented South Berkeley and its residents on the city of Berkeley's South Shattuck strategic plan committee participating in the development of low-income housing and was president of the board of directors of Savo Island Cooperative Homes. And whereas Mel Martin 
was an active journalist and a regular contributor to Berkeley Times with his column titled Mel on the Media and a columnist for the Berkeley Daily Planet. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the mayor, Jesse Ardeen, and I, Vice Mayor Ben Bartlett of the Berkeley City Council, to hereby recognize and thank Mel Martin for his dedication, commitment, and service to this community. You're here. At this time, I would like to call the principal of Berkeley Adult School, Mr. Tom Reed. Thank you all for being here today. I met Mel in August of 2015 when I came here to Berkeley Adult School as principal. And of course, Mel and I had many conversations as he was the teachers union site rep and I was the administrator here, many conversations. And as I reflect on Mel's life, I remember some, uh, an adage that's been given to people who want to make the world a better place. That's what Mel was about. It's been said that if you want to make the world a better place, do what you can, where you are, with what you have. And so when I think about Mel, one thing Mel had was legs. And so Mel could work where he was here in Berkeley and take his legs, and you'll hear more about this, I think, from other speakers, to go spread flyers and knock on doors through half of the city of Berkeley for one campaign. Someone he believed in would make a difference, make this world a better place. He gave his legs to help that happen. And it happened. So Mel had legs. Mel had a car. And so when COVID hit, and it was time to do what you can, where you are with what you got, Mel had his car. And Mel used his car to take instructional materials to deliver them to his students, hard copy, paper, delivered to his students' homes. That was his commitment. That was using what he had to make the world a better place. Mel had connections. And one of the things I saw in Mel that was important to Mel about making the world a better place is that Mel really wanted all of us from whatever backgrounds to treat each other with respect and honor, regardless of where we're coming from. And so when I go back to, the, to August of 2015, when I first landed here at Berkeley Adult School, it was time to start the school year, and it was time to call together the leadership team of the school, teacher leaders and classified leaders, to work with me to plan what was going to be happening at Berkeley Adult School in the coming year. So I sent out an email to uh, plan a meeting, sent out an email to these leaders that I hadn't met before. I was mostly alone on campus at the time. The first response that I got about the agenda for that meeting was from Mel. Mel wanted to make sure that Berkeley Adult School had a presence at the coming October's uh, Latino Heritage event happening here in downtown Berkeley. He really, really cared that people from all backgrounds would get together. So this is a place where he used his connections. Mel, thank you. Thank you for example, your example of wanting to change the world and your example of doing what you can, where you are, with what you got. Thank you, Mel. The next speaker, which is our BUSD board member, Jennifer Wachnowski. 
Thank you so much. I actually met Mel um, when we were labor activists on several actions with BFT. And then I saw him when I was working on the um, measures EGH for the Berkeley schools. And he showed up weekend after weekend to campaign. But I really got to know Mel this last fall when I ran for school board. And Mel decided that he was going to visit every single house in D3 for me. And I thought, there's no way he's going to do that. But he would call me week after week, telling me he needed more flyers and more flyers. And I thought, Jesus, like I've given him so many flyers, really? And, and I'd, I'd go to his house and stop by to drop off the flyers. And we would always chat for a little while. And we'd talk about movies and we'd talk about food and we'd talk about my two little kids and him growing up in Berkeley and, and labor and you know, all the different things that we sort of had our hands and we had in common. And we really, we really became friends. As the election season progressed, I learned that I wasn't quite as special as I thought I was. I wasn't the only one that Mel walked all of D3 for. Uh, he, he did it for our council member, Ben Bartlett. He did it for our city auditor, Jenny. I'm sure he probably did it for Anna as well, our other um, BUSD board member who's here today. Um, and so many others, you know, Mel didn't just talk the talk, he literally walked the walk and he did it joyfully and he did it freely and he never asked for anything in return. I last saw Mel in December, I felt like I needed to take him out for lunch uh, to thank him for all those steps and we went out for fish and chips and beer and um, talked about all the things we were going to do together in the future. And he gave me a cookbook, a Williams-Sonoma New Orleans cookbook. And I said, okay, well, we'll, we'll come up with our next ideas over dinner. I'll cook you dinner and we'll sit down and, and talk about it. And I'm really sorry that Mel won't be at my table for that dinner, but I'm still going to make the dinner. And I ask each of you to think of Mel the next time you make or eat Creole food, the next time you hear jazz the next time you go out and precinct walk, and the next time you really walk the walk to make a difference in a city or a place that you love. To his kids, my deepest condolences to your, your loss. Thank you. Those were the voices of some of the city of Berkeley officials whose lives and work were positively impacted by teacher and community activist, Mel Martin. Up next, we'll hear from his children, Let's listen. Mr. Martin's oldest son, Dan Martin. Thank you, everyone, for those wonderful stories. Father definitely touched a lot of people and worked a lot of you in um, many different communities. It's great that everyone's here today and the education community. And uh, I just want to let you know it uh, means a lot to me and my family for everyone to share this theme. Um, and the stories about my father means a lot. And um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about scholarship fund. I've talked to Tom about what we're putting together with adult uh, students who want to advance their education. And that if people are interested in contributing to this fund, we're going to be setting it up with Tom. There's flyers on your desk or your tables that you can look at and ways to, that you can assist with this. But I thought that'd be a nice memory for those, uh, for all that, all of us in the education field that want to see his legacy move on and adult education and help students as they move through life. I want to just bring that up. I think that's something we can do for his memory. 
and it's just wonderful hearing all the stories and seeing Ben here, the vice mayor. Uh, he really did play a role in had changed in this, not only in the education uh, community, but in Berkeley as a whole, the union and everything else. So I really appreciate everyone's effort. Maybe once again, we should give a round of applause for the people that helped put this together. Really fantastic. And it means a lot to me and my family. I'll just leave it at that right now. And if there's other people who want to come up and speak, that'd be great. Yes, I'll be around if my family folks want to talk more. I would like to talk to some of you. I've been, I do not live in town. I've moved away for 30 years. And um, if there's, I'd love to hear stories or if anyone wants to share yeah, stories, how my father touched their lives and the people of the community. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, good to see everybody here. I'm Mel's younger son. And I thought, what a great story everyone has been giving about my dad. I wanted to give a little chronology of his life. He was from Philadelphia. His parents were originally from Baltimore, and his dad was in, went away in World War II. So his mom raised him by herself. She really believed that he should go to a Jesuit school, and my dad went to a Jesuit school all the way up through high school. And this is really important. Later, he went to college in Loyola, New Orleans, where he met my mom. And at one point, he had an opportunity to go teach. And that place was in Alaska. They drove, now you have to put this in perspective now because the Alcan Highway had just been built just after World War II. There were not a people going up there, but they decided to go up there. The funniest part about that is the school, when he got up there, I'm not quite sure, but reminded him that this was an unpaid position. We didn't tell. When they came back, they had some common friends that had been recruited to California. My dad was a teacher in New Orleans, and this was right around when the Civil Rights Bill had been passed. They went to celebrate in a bar, and one of his fellow teachers was black, African-American. They wouldn't let him in the bar. My dad said, no. He said that that was against the law, that it was a national law. And they said, sorry. And so he called the police. Well, as you can imagine, the police came and arrested my dad. Now, that put a strain on him as a teacher in New Orleans. It was difficult for him, and perhaps that may have been one of the reasons that he left also common friends had been recruited to California. And they wanted people from the South to come. So then he, my mom followed him in their footsteps. And although jobs were hard back then, they made the best of it. He worked at an alternative school in Berkeley here, where me and my brother went, Kilimanjaro. Does anyone remember that school? We're talking 1971 and Odyssey afterwards. These were alternative schools. And through that time, my dad became very organized in the, the Berkeley schools. And me and my brother would go out and help him put up posters. We would stand on top of the cars. We could put them higher up so the other people couldn't tear them down. And he also was committed to Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. And he influenced me a lot with that. I eventually went and lived in Spain 
I met someone there. We got married, we came back, and I became a bilingual Spanish teacher. And I am still to this day. And I managed to travel to Brazil. I learned Portuguese, been in Spain, I've been in Peru. And this is a lot to do with my dad's influence on me. And he visited me in Brazil. I told him, you know, maybe I would like to live here. But I don't know, because all my friends and families. And he said, don't worry about it. He said, I can, you know, that's what you're doing is really possible. And he said, don't worry, I will visit you. Well, I came back anyways. And um, as he continued to be a factor in the Burby politics, he involved me a lot. And he knew that me and my brother, he knew that it wasn't that easy to be in, as much of an organizer as he was. So although I regret not helping him as much as he did, and he taught me so much so. I've recently gone back to teaching and I'm enjoying it a lot. And I know he would be proud. And I'm so happy to see everyone here and he has touched so many lives. And I hope that I could follow in my dad's footsteps a little. Because I know there's a lot of work to do. Good afternoon, everyone. At first, I'd like to thank, um, be thankful for this event. And I'd like to thank for all, thank all of you who are in attendance here in person as well as on Zoom. And I thank you all for your kind words. And I'm glad that you all have been affected in such a positive way. Mel is my dad. He's my stepdad. And it's been beautiful. He's taught myself and my daughter a lot about the world and how important it is to be good towards one another. And I'm so glad that he's affected so many people and in their lives. And, not, and it goes way beyond the people that are here to acknowledge it. But I'm just so happy to see that people are remembering him in such a beautiful way. And I'm a very aware of, you know, all the things you guys spoke about, his contributions to the community. And I'm glad that um, his love for humanity was able to spread as far and wide as it was able to spread. I am also a teacher. And watching him has given me inspiration in not only the area of teaching, but in the area of giving to our community. And I continue to do that. And I hope that because he was present in your life and you have experienced him and his love, that you will take what you've gotten from him and also pass it on to those around you so that it can just continue to spread. Because one person really can make a difference. And as you guys have shown here, he's made a difference and you can do the same. And the people that you pass on your love to, they can also do the same. So never think that your voice doesn't matter. Never think that you're not seen or heard. Although you may not see it come to fruition and it may take a while, what you contribute will make a difference. So I just want to thank you all. And I hope you will remember that always and pass the love on. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Mel was my granddad, not my step-granddad. That's all I've known. The only male figure ever in my life. And he installed great morals and values into me. He showed me how to be a leader, how to stand out, 
no matter if people agree with you or not, to do what's right. When people aren't looking to be support to good causes, he would take me around to do fundraisers for my school. And um, I was the top record um, ever in the Sally Foster gift wrap sales because my granddad would take me after school around College Avenue to go sell gift wrap and chocolate. My granddad would take me to do baking sales for my dance group. He would support us and watch us as we sold baked goods. And he would write articles about me when I was younger, about my dance groups or accomplishments I made in the Berkeley Times. So you now I have an organization to help young women because they don't, all women and all young girls don't have a male in their life. So I'm thankful for everything my granddad has done for me and for the community. And God bless you all. Thank you, Mel Martine. Oh, when the saints go marching, oh, when the saints go That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Be sure to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, for links and information related to tonight's show. Also, the First Voice Media Facebook page for videos, live streams, and other content that doesn't make the air. That's First Voice Media on Facebook. Let me give a shout out to the Full Circle crew, our executive director, Miss M, and me, Freewell and Franklin. I'm the technical director for this show, Full Circle, and I've also been your host tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, while you're out there, to please protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA. Up next is La Onda Pajita. And it looks like I have a little time left. I'll go out. With a shout out to my stepdad, Richard Marotti. He came into my life when I was about 12 years old and he's always been there ever since. Thanks, Richard. This is Color Him Father by the Winstons. Good night, everyone. So big.
strong. He goes to work each day and he stays all day long. He comes home each night looking tired and beat. He sits down at the dinner table and has a bite to eat. Never a frown, always a smile. When he says to me, how's my child? I said that I've been studying hard all day in school. Trying very hard to understand the golden rule. I think I'll color this man father. I think I'll color him love. Said I'm gonna color him father. I think I'll color the man love. Yes, I will. He says education is a thing if you want to complete. Because without his son, life ain't very sweet. I love this man and I don't know why. Except I'll need his strength until the day that I die. My mother loves him and I can tell by the way she looks at him when he holds my little sister Nell. I heard her say just the other day that if it hadn't been for him, she couldn't have found her way. I think I'll color him father. I'm gonna color him love. I've got to color him father. I think I'll color this man love. Our real old man, he got killed in the war. And she knows she and seven kids couldn't have gotten very far. She thought that she could never love again And then there he stood with that big wide grin He married my mother and he took us in And now we belong to the man with that big wide grin I've got to color this man father I'm gonna color him love 